The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Wanted to take a closer look at some of the news that is coming out of the Alberta legislature. What is happening there? Maybe what is not happening there? And uh, happy to welcome uh, political science professor at Mount Royal University, Lori Williams, back to the show. Uh, Lori, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jaylen. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Uh, did you want to talk about uh, Pablo the Wallaby instead of politics this afternoon? <laughs> politics is always interesting for me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I want to start with this because there was some new um, information that came out yesterday regarding the whole, let's call it the Aloha Gate uh, scandal. Who went where and who knew what uh, about travel uh, with uh, with uh, uh, with MLAs over Christmas? We know yesterday the NDP leader, Rachel Notley, uh, saying that they had done a FOIP request, uh, found out new information suggesting that through emails that uh, Premier Kenny's former chief of staff, Jamie Huckabee, had asked UCP cabinet ministers on November 24th to inform him in writing of their vacation plans. So there's that part of it. There's, uh, you know, there's also uh, requests for phone packages for uh, you know, uh, Tracy Allard and for Jamie Huckabee. Um, what did you make of that information that came out yesterday? Well, it flies directly in the face of the Premier's claim that he's not in the habit of tracking the whereabouts of his people on their personal time. And, of course, it's not a surprise. This is the expectation I think a lot of people have of Jason Kenney. They expect that he is very controlling. He is very much a micromanager. Um, So this information isn't surprising from that point of view. But it's a problem for the Premier because it flies directly against uh, what he actually said. So what does he do now? He continues to reiterate that he, uh, he, he only found out about it when uh, his former chief of staff uh, was you know, on the way to, to his airport. What kind of damage control does he have to do now? Or do you think Albertans are like, uh, we're past this, let's get by it? Well, I, I don't think his reassurances are going to convince people. I think there was a lot of skepticism at the time that he didn't know what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. He was giving mixed messages, sort of promoting yeah. uh, WestJet at, at the same time. as as discouraging international travel. And, of course, the claim that he didn't know that these things were happening uh, wasn't convincing convincing to most people. Um, This just makes it much more difficult for him to, as he calls it, earn back the trust of Albertans. But it's it's not just about whether he was truthful or not. It's about about whether he's actually managing things that are important to Albertans, whether he's respecting the sacrifices they made and so forth. And it remains to be seen whether he can recover from that. You know, it's it's interesting. I think, um, you know, I think uh, Albertans and Canadians get really ticked off when they see politicians um, getting caught. Let's put it that way. And I think we're seeing that at the federal level as well right now. I keep telling my listeners to watch what's happening with uh, what is going on with the investigation into the former CDS, uh, General Jonathan Vance, with Art McDonald, with who knew what and when, with the defense minister. And I just, um, I, I don't... I don't understand how it keeps happening, right? But I guess you get caught in a web of lies, and it's tough to get out of it, isn't it? Well, what seems to be happening is that is that quite often they're trying to have things both ways. They they want, on the one hand, in, in personnel matters, I think they want to try to protect uh, confidentiality in, until such time as investigations actually confirm that uh, that allegations are true. That might be a mm-hmm. slightly trickier situation. But you know, when governments 
promise to be transparent and they aren't, mm-hmm. it hits them doubly hard. And we're seeing that happen both at the federal level and at the provincial level. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I wanted to skip over to uh, an, another topic that's uh, making the news again about uh, the Premier suggesting that uh, that his government will make a decision this spring on whether or not to pursue pulling Alberta out of the Canada pension plan. This was something that came out of uh, the Fair Deal panel, if I remember correctly. Laurie, how how would this work? And and and, and what? Cha- I mean, to me, there's there's a whole lot of challenges that the government would face in doing so. I know what they're thinking is that they can take that $40 billion that Albertans have contributed to uh, the, the CPP, put it into our coffers, and, you know, with a younger, uh, younger demographic, more people would be uh, contributing than pulling out. But how would this play out here in Alberta? Well, there are a lot of problems potentially with this. I, uh, first of all, it doesn't look like there's a lot of support or appetite for this mm-hmm. amongst Albertans. Uh, it's important to some people, very strongly supported by some people. But there are a lot of premises or assumptions that are being made that may not actually um, bear out. First of all, the idea that we've got a younger population. Um, the government's got a bit of a problem in that there aren't jobs for the folks that are mm-hmm. that are um, graduating from universities in Alberta. And unless that gets, gets dealt with fairly significantly and quickly, uh, they're going to be looking elsewhere. I think similarly, if post-secondary education becomes um, less affordable or accessible, that that could create problems um, for young people remaining in the province as well. And there are a lot of parents that are very worried about that right now. Second thing is, uh, I think trust in the Alberta government's investment decisions is at a low right now because of the Keystone XL investment, but also the fact that that AIMCO has actually not performed very well. So do we want uh, the Alberta government making investment perhaps on the basis of wanting to shore up uh, particular uh, industry players by sort of privileging um, some areas and, and disadvantaging others. We know the international community is reluctant to invest in Alberta right now for a variety of reasons. That energy environment balance has to be improved in order to attract investment back to Alberta. Um, so the question is whether there will actually be effective management for the well-being of the pensioners. Uh, what will happen if they leave Alberta? How uh, reliable yeah. or, or stable will their pension be? There are a lot of serious questions. And, and probably the most important thing on this account is whatever uh, criticisms people have of the federal government, they've managed quite well with respect to the Canadian pension plan. It has performed mm-hmm. quite well. Their investments have paid off handsomely. And so uh, it's it's hard to understand why leaving a federal program that's working well and going to a provincial program that isn't working as well, it's hard to see what the, the advantages or benefits of that might be. Mount Royal University's uh, Lori Williams joining us this afternoon. One of the other things I think uh, would be, you know, if, you know, and the Premier said that there would be a referendum uh, on this if if it was to, you know, before anything would, would go ahead. But if by chance it did get uh, a majority, if it did go ahead, Lori, um, you know, when it comes to negotiations with Ottawa on how to get Alberta out of uh, the Canada Pension Plan. I mean, can you even wrap your head around what what that might look like? No, it's unprecedented, and that's part of the problem. So Quebec had its own plan from the get-go. So yes. we're, we don't have a model for a province beginning this process at this stage of the game. And again, the question is whether there is a benefit, um, a net benefit for Albertans if this is the direction that things go. Um, 
So we don't know what it would look like, uh, how it would be negotiated, uh, you know, what happens to the pension funds that have been contributed already. Um, you know, it, it just could open up a whole new uh, set of issues and problems. And, you know, I suppose another opportunity for, for criticism because if, the, if the federal government isn't giving uh, Alberta politicians what they want. But the question, I think the bigger question is whether it gives Alberta citizens what they want. And that, that I think, is going to be the biggest stumbling block. Would the federal government have to say yes to this? I mean, if a province comes to the feds and says, hey, this is what we want to do, okay, we are, we got to negotiate it, but could the feds just say, mm, no, you said this, yeah, this is unprecedented. Um, I, I'm wondering about what provisions are in place or are there that could say, no, uh, you're in and this is the way it's got to be. I don't think that's going to be a position that's taken. Um, I don't see the political benefit in, in, in uh, assuming that position. I think the negotiations will be very political in the sense that the federal government will be, and the Alberta government will both be saying they're doing what's in the interest of Albertans. Yeah. And then yeah. it's going to be the difficult problem is for Albertans to sort of weigh through all of the um, the rhetoric to try to figure out what it, and what in fact is happening, whether it, it's likely to benefit us in the long term or not. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, the news that continues to come out uh, regarding uh, what has happened over the past number of years surrounding Lethbridge West uh, MLA Shannon uh, Phillips. We we had heard, uh, you know, a couple of years back about photos that were taken of her, and she thought that she might have been under surveillance by Lethbridge uh, police. We know that another Freedom of Information Act, uh, another FOIP request was put through and found out more information. Uh, additional information that uh, that she was watched. I mean, to me, this is something that should. Um, re- I don't think strike fear is too too big of uh, you know of a phrase because uh, when it comes to po- for politicians or for everyday Albertans, that this could happen um, at the hands of a of a police force. Well, exactly. Police have a, a great deal of power, um, both in terms of of uh, investigations and monitoring us as citizens, uh, but also in terms of of affecting uh, our lives by perhaps arresting or charging us um, mm-hmm. or or simply raising questions about uh, about our um, our character our uh, the quality of our citizenship, whether we're good mm-hmm. citizens or not, those are those are really important powers, and they have to be curtailed. They have to be effectively uh, limited. And there have been a series of serious questions raised about the practices of the Lethbridge police, and the fact that these investigations take as long as they do and don't respond quite as effectively against wrongdoing is a persistent problem. Of course, we're seeing it across the board with respect mm-hmm. to Black Lives Matter, the treatment of BIPOC Canadians by, by police, and now, um, you know, uh, politicians that are uh, that are not liked by, by Lethbridge uh, police are the subject of the, this kind of surveillance and investigation. It's clearly an abuse of power, and the powers involved are significant. Uh, everybody needs to be looking at this carefully, and I think a lot of people are quite concerned. We're hearing a recognition of mm-hmm. how important it is to uh, to effectively monitor or limit the exercise of police power. We're hearing that from at least somewhat ambivalently from the Lethbridge police chief, but certainly mm-hmm. from our justice minister. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, I think there are a lot of people that are very worried about, look, this is a pattern. There are a series of things that are raising questions about the professionalism of uh, the Lethbridge police, that treatment of the of the deer that had been injured on the highway yes. and so-called euthanized, the arrest of the stormtrooper, the mm-hmm. fact that a retired uh, Lethbridge police officer uh, has um, uh, 
engaged in non-consensual sex with a sexual assault victim when working at a center that was meant to support yes. sexual assault victims. It's looking terrible for the Lethbridge police, and it's, it's a tall order, but they've got to deal with this and, and deal with it decisively and pr- try to restore some kind of public confidence in not just policing in Lethbridge, but that this government takes seriously the, the importance of restricting and, cur- and curtailing abuse of police power. It, I mean, we see the courts dealing with this by excluding evidence when it's obtained in violation of charter rights, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's long after an abuse has occurred. And sometimes if it doesn't go to court, there's not much that can be done short of making a complaint uh, with police, a police commission, an ombudsperson or something of that nature. There needs to be something in place to prevent these sorts of things from happening. And that has to happen soon and it has to happen publicly and it has to be seen to be effective. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Laurie, before I let you go, I mean, we touched on uh, three biggies uh, here, really, that have been in the news this past week. Is there anything else that, that you have your eye on right now that you're you're, you're keeping a watch on coming out uh, of the ledge and, and, you know, maybe that uh, it might not be on our radar that we should be, um, you know, a little bit of a heads up on? I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to the municipal elections in the fall. Um, we're yes. hearing a bit of rumbling about another referendum on daylight saving, possibly. Um, I, I think that a lot of eyes are on the provincial election, and particularly given, given the, uh, the tension between some municipalities and the provincial government. Um, I, I think it's not too soon to start looking at, at how that's going to play out in terms of uh, fundraising for candidates, the, yes. uh, the campaigning for candidates, the support that's given for candidates by um, indirectly or directly by people that are involved in government. Um, I think there are a lot of people that are very engaged, particularly in a place like, like Calgary, where there look to be a, a potentially a larger number than usual uh, of seats that are, that are vacant and people are seeking to fill. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, Lori, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Always appreciate your insight. Well, great questions, Jalen. Enjoyed it. Yeah, take care. Lori Williams checking in this afternoon. She's a professor of political science at uh, Mount Royal University. So, yeah, interesting stuff. You know, uh, the municipal election were, what, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, uh, seven months away. We're seeing uh, a lot of people throwing their names into things. We know that uh, here at home, uh, Mayor uh, Iveson is not running again. So that makes uh, the election, I think, even more exciting because we will have uh, a new mayor and who will that be and we're still waiting to hear you know if there's a couple more people who are going to uh, throw their names uh, into the ring I think um, a lot of people are still wondering about Amarjeet Sohi if if he is going to or not and I think other people would be saying that you know maybe should have done it uh, already but again seven months uh, seven, eight months uh, still out. A number of uh, councillors as well. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of people throw their names in for council positions. So I think Lori is right. I think I think there's a lot. There's going to be a lot of attention. Uh, certainly, as you know, as 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 we get closer and closer, and probably you know, on the other side of uh, you know, into August is September, obviously. But I think it's going to get really, really interesting on that front. DST, you know, daylight saving time. That is something that uh, has been going on and on and on and on in this province forever and a day. Don't forget, you do spring forward uh, Saturday night. 911. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my God, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry. Hello? Are you
Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.